good to be here tonight to continue again in our series um, looking through Romans. So we're going to start looking through Romans 3 now. We've completed the first two chapters, and it only took, I think, was it five sermons <laughs> to do two chapters. At the end of chapter two, we were discussing that there's no point in knowing all about God if we don't actually give him our heart and give him our lives. There's no point in knowing all the right things to say. There's no point in knowing all the right things to do. There's no point in going to church week in, week out, because attending a building is not going to save you. There's no point in, atten- in being a member of a church. There's no point in being, uh, you know, being christened or, um, you know, or anything like that if your heart doesn't choose to follow God, if, it, if you don't choose to continue in the fellowship with God that we're meant to have. You see, our hearts and our lives need to be repentant. We need to come to God with all of the wrong stuff that we've done and all of the wrong stuff that we do and say, come God and have your way. We need to say sorry. We need to give our lives fully and give them fully devoted to him again and say, come and have your way. And this needs to be a daily process that we go through, not just a once. Yes, obviously we have the experience where we do give our lives initially to God. But every day we need to remind ourselves of that. And we need to remind ourselves of the calling that God has placed in our lives. See, as a response to that, our hearts will be devoted to him. So once we realize and remember that our hearts are devoted to him, we want to serve out of that heart. We don't, we don't serve God in the hopes that he'll forgive us. Because we're forgiven, we serve God. And that's the process that we need to go through constantly to remind ourselves of our position in God because we've done nothing to justify being saved. We've done nothing to be worthy of this saving grace. But you know what? God gives it freely and God gives it anyway. And this brings us to the start of chapter two and it starts with a very valid question. It says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in it in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. They, these Jewish people had heard the very words of God. They had heard what God had to say. But it is funny, if you go back to, um, back to the Old Testament, whenever Moses received the law, actually God didn't want to give them a written down law. If you look at it and study, um, study back, you'll see that God didn't want it all to be written down, but they asked God to write it down. They asked God, and, they, and, and not only that, they said, give it to Moses, don't give it to us. Because it was, the mountain was open to anybody who wanted to go up. But what did they do? They said, no, Moses, you go on our behalf. The people didn't want to go to God. So God reluctantly gave them the law. And this is one thing that, yes, the Jews had heard the law. The Jews were entrusted with with this. But even then, most of the Jews were actually afraid of the law. They were afraid because they knew what it meant. They knew what it was meant to be. And you see, in in similar ways, we've been entrusted with the words of God now to our generation. In essence, we are what you might classify as the Jews to our generation of Gentiles, the people who don't know God and don't know about God. 
And that's why our lives need to be an example to all. We need to live our lives in such a way that they'll recognize that we're not living by secular standards, if you want to put it that way. We're trying to live by godly standards. We're trying to live um, and share the example of what God says. This is how God planned us to live. This is the way God plans us to work. See, most people who don't come to church will never know the written word of God. They'll never have actually sat down and read the Bible for themselves. Most people don't do that now. And even now, a lot of, gen a lot of, of the new generation, they're learning most of what they learn through, um, through different mediums. Different, you know, so they're watching a lot of videos, acting out what happened and acting out different scenarios so they can understand. A lot of them aren't reading the Bible for themselves, which is very sad because that's where, that's where we need to be. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be devoted to what God is actually saying and not a translation of what God is saying. That, that is why also a lot of people actually struggle with, because there's so many different translations of the Bible. People struggle, well, should I be using this one? Should I be using that one? And, and this is where we need to be careful that, we don't, that, that we're displaying the accurate word of God. That as we live our lives and as a response to the forgiveness we receive, as we live out our devotion, so we're trying to live out as close to God's purposes as possible, which is ultimately the law, because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I've come to complete the law. I've come to show God in all of his fullness. Not just an interpretation of what people thought, because that's what the Pharisees had done. The Pharisees had took the law as it stood, and they had interpreted it in such a way that they fitted it all into nice, neat boxes of this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, this is how you live your life. And they had made all of this big, massive set of rules and regulations that people couldn't follow. And whenever Jesus came along, and by fulfilling the law, by living his life out, it was countercultural. It didn't fit in with the culture of the day. And they were really, a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the religious people of the day really struggled with it because he didn't fit neatly into their system. And that's why we need to be careful that we just don't fit into a religious system because it's easy to go to a church and do things the way that people expect things to be done. And we were even discussing this on Wednesday night that, um, that whenever you know, we see new people come into church and they get saved miraculously, they still, they don't, sometimes they don't understand etiquette. Sometimes they don't understand the way things are done in church and things might happen that catch you off guard and make you go, whoa, this is like really weird. And I shared an example of um, this group of boys that I um, was working with and they had just got saved. They were only saved a few weeks and we took them to a church to share their testimony. Now, these boys were in really hard drugs and were going with, uh, and came from a really, really hard lifestyle. And they were even having withdrawal symptoms and stuff off of drugs. And they were standing outside smoking, outside the church smoking, just, just smoking an ordinary cigarette, nothing, nothing major. But they were, you know, they'd come off cannabis, they'd come off heroin, they'd come off all these hard drugs. And a lot of people were looking at, you know, who were religious, were walking in and looking at them and going, oh, I can't believe they're smoking outside the church. But if you'd have seen them two or three weeks ago, they were in the club, absolutely wasted in drugs. So we've got to be really careful that whenever people do come in, that we actually just, we make sure we love them in the name of Jesus and that we don't just throw all of these conditions 
in with them and that we guide them through the process of learning what it means to actually follow God. Because as we actually follow God, it does look countercultural, both to a religious person and a non-religious person. Because a lot of times, as I said, people just want these rules and regulations to follow. And some people, have been well-meaning people, have been in church all of their life, but do not know God. And that's sad that people can come to church and hear all about God week in, week out, and walk out the door not knowing him, not actually knowing them in their heart. And this is why we need to be careful how we live out our lives. We need to be careful that we live out our lives with the passion and with the drive and with the same life that Jesus lived, because he lived as an example, but that we don't do it with any baggage that isn't meant to be there. That's why it's good to know the words of God. And that's why it's good, but, but yet we don't box God in. In verse 3, it says, What if some were faithful, or sorry, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human be a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. You see, God's faithfulness to us is not dependent on us, thankfully. Because I don't know about you, but I know I, I feel regularly. And if, and if God's faithfulness towards me relied on my faithfulness towards God, I know I wouldn't last very long. Well, thankfully, God remains faithful even when we don't. Even when we struggle and when we fall and when we fail, you know what, God remains faithful to us. And it doesn't impact the truth of God on our lives. It doesn't impact the fact that God still loves us and forgives us when we come to him with repentant hearts. In verse five, it goes on and says, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could, God, um, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, in my falsehood, in, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result, their condemnation is just. See, we can't come to God on our own terms. We can't come to God the way we want. If we are doing something that God sees as wrong, it's sin. If God's standard is here and we're doing something which is below God's standard, that is substandard and that is sin. And that's what the law pointed out. That's what the law that God gave pointed out, that, you know, my ways are much higher than your ways. My thoughts are much higher than yours. See, it doesn't matter how we argue or what we wrestle with. You know, we can't argue that bad is good, no matter how much we believe in it, no matter how much that we, we invest in it. And you see, we are all under judgment. And if we do something that's worthy of that judgment, that's what the passage is saying, that, that God is just to forgive and God is a just God. He's not a God who's one way in one day and another way another. He is stable in 
the way he acts. He is stable in his beliefs. He is stable. He is our rock. He is the foundation that we can build our life on because it doesn't move. See, sometimes we argue that when we do wrong, we just highlight how good God is. And there's some people who actually live their lives that way, just going, I know I'm okay because God will forgive me. So it doesn't matter what I do. You know what? God's going to forgive me. God's going to ultimately forgive me whenever I come to him and say sorry. Because that's the way God's meant to be. And you know what? That's actually quite childish. To say, that, you know what? I can do whatever I want and get away with it. Because I know if I come to God and say sorry, it'll all be okay. And that's quite childish in its understanding. It's, quite, it's not very mature. And yes, whenever some people do come to God initially, they will continue to do wrong things. They will continue to get stuff wrong. They will continue to fall because they're young, they're childish. But as we grow up in our knowledge and understanding of God, we're supposed to mature. It doesn't mean we have to be sensible, but we have to be mature. And there's a big difference between sensibleness and maturity. Because sense, you know, a lot of people sometimes view sensibleness as maturity, but there is a big difference. Because you can be the most sensible person in the world, but very immature in the way that you act and respond towards certain topics or certain people. And this is why we need to grow in maturity within our faith. In, um, in 1 Corinthians 13, it, it talks about, um, uh, was it, or is it 1 Corinthians 13? I forget the exact reference, but um, it talks about when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, but as I grew up, I put away childish things. And in the same way, we have to do that in our faith. We have to mature in our faith. And I always challenge people, if you're the same person you were last week, if you're the same person you were last month, if you're the same person you were last year, if you haven't matured any or grown any, are we really following the path that God has for us? Are we really following the plans that God has for us? See, God is a faithful judge, and he has a perfect standard. And anything that falls short of that standard is not good enough. He challenges us to be holy because he is holy. Are we trying to be holy? Verse 9, it continues, and it says, What shall we conclude, then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. See, all of mankind is under this curse. And even... After we give our hearts and lives to God, we're still under the curse that we actually have sin and we, we sin. That's why we're supposed to come to God continually and say sorry, because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. I'm not saying, that, I'm not saying that's a good thing because we have to choose not to. We have to choose to follow God. We have to choose to seek to follow God. And the closer we can get to God, the closer um, uh, and the more we know about God, the more the, more, the better decisions we can make. We can choose to follow God every day. Does it mean that you will always get it right? No. And that's when sin comes in. Because in essence, the Bible talks about it as we have the flesh man, the sin, the stuff that we, we do that's wrong, and we have the spirit within us. And they're striving. They're striving for power within us the choosing to follow God versus the choosing to follow, follow our own selfish nature, our own little ways that we like. This is where we need to really struggle and battle and listen for God's voice. 
And then we go on and read from verse 10 in uh, some Psalms to point out and highlight how we are as a human being, how we are as a human race. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, Paul takes his readers on his journey through the Psalms and through um, through David and all the other Psalm writers as they're wrestling with this flesh part of them, the flesh part that they they struggle with. Because um, you know, because as much as we sometimes seek to honor God, we end up doing the thing we don't want to do. And the Apostle Paul even talks about it in the New Testament in another. Uh, passage where he says, the things I do want to do, I find I'm not doing. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. And there's this whole big wrestle and war within himself. See, throughout history, we can see the hopelessness of mankind, especially when they give themselves over to these evil ways and evil practices. They talk about, uh, there's another passage, um, I think it's in James, it talks about the tongue. And it talks about how the tongue, even though it's such a small instrument in the body, it steers the whole ship. And how your tongue can just be, it can, it can be a tongue of fire and it can actually cause destruction. This is why we need to be so careful what we say and how we do what we, we do. He reminds us that nobody has the right to be righteous. Nobody, um, you know, everybody is, is worthless. You know, we all lie. We can all poison things and we can twist them for our own good. We can all curse them. We can all be bitter. You know, and we'll gladly murder people sometimes and not even just murder people, well, not even physically murder people, but we can actually murder their character. We can murder and malign somebody just because we disagree with something they've said or just because they haven't said what we've wanted them to say or they haven't acted the way we wanted them to ask. We can actually ruin people's reputation just by slandering them. And then it reminds us about the fear of God. Do we as a generation actually fear God? See, the Apostle Paul just wants to remind us how broken we really are as human beings. We are so broken. And as you look into the law, which is the perfect standard God sets, it it looks so unattainable. It looks looks so high that we can't actually go, how are we ever going to reach that standard? It points towards the standard God sets, and it actually makes us worry and concerned because you're like, I can never be that good. I can never attain that standard that God has set for me. Don't be shocked whenever you realize that because that's the best place, that's one of the best places we can be. In verse 19, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. 
That's why it's good to know the things that we do wrong. It's good to know um, and, not, and not be shocked by somebody saying, this is the way you, you're, you're acting, this is the way you've acted. Because it's good to see in ourselves how unrighteous we are. Because it helps us then press in um, to God and press in. Because that's why the law exists. The law exists so it'll drive us to our knees so that we can come to God and say sorry for all the wrong things that we've done. And as we kneel before God and we look in the perfect righteousness that he has, it keeps us humble. Because no matter how good we are, we know that we're, we've got further to go. We can reach a higher standard. We can press into God for more. And does it mean we keep on sinning? Does it, keep me, does it mean that we keep on doing the wrong things we've done? No. But because he calls us to be like him, he says, be holy as I am holy. He calls us to follow him. Jesus living his life on earth gave us a good example of how we're meant to treat people. He showed us how to love sinners. Whenever people come in broken and hurting, he showed us this is how you love somebody that's hurt. This is how you love somebody that's broken. And the people who thought they were righteous, the people who thought they knew better, how did he challenge them? How did he ask men to live? You know what? He was actually really harsh. He actually provoked them. He actually, um, he actually probably wound them up isn't quite the right context, but he actually he challenged them. And the thing is, he's going to challenge us. If we think we've got something sorted, you know what? He's going to challenge us. And see, we're reminded of this whenever we look at Luke chapter 18. Because in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says, it says to someone, sorry, to someone, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and, I get, and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble, the, humble themselves will be exalted. See, tonight, do we look around us and do we judge the world that we're living in? Do we look look around us and do we judge even other Christians by the way they're living their lives? Do we even say, thank you, I'm not like that. Thank you, I don't do this. Thank you, I don't do that. We need to be really careful how we, how we live out because we're all in a broken state. We're all on a journey. Or are we going to be like the tax collector where we humbly come to God, knowing our failings, knowing our shortcomings, but not being condemned by them any longer? Do we remember to pray that, you know, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me for all the wrong things I do. Are we praying boastful prayers where we boast in God, thank you that I've done this, thank you that I've done that. Thank you I'm not like this person. Thank you I'm not like that person. Or do we submit ourselves to God? Do we serve God? Tonight I just want to end by simply asking you just to come to God with all of your ways 
all the things you do, all the things you choose to do, all the things you choose not to do. Come to God with a fresh heart and a fresh understanding going, God, I'm not going to be condemned by the sin any longer, but I come to you and ask you to forgive me and use me afresh. Use me afresh to change the world I live in by living in a different way where I know your law and I know I'm short of your law or your perfect standard. But I serve you with all that I have. I serve you and I seek to be holy. I seek to attain to the law because the law is the fulfillment of what Jesus came to do. Tonight, I pray that every one of us will come to him with open hearts, saying, come and have your way in me again. Let's pray together. God, thank you that there is no condemnation for anybody who comes to you and asks forgiveness, God. So God, we come to you, we ask forgiveness for all the wrong things we've done, for all the sin that so easily entangles, God, for all the stuff that we long to do but we choose not to do, and all the stuff that we end up doing wrong that we don't want to do. God, we give it all to you, all of our burdens, all of our baggage, everything that we, uh, we carry through this life, God, and we say, come and have your way, God. Come and, find, and, and help us find forgiveness in your arms. Help us find new purpose and new meaning in our lives as we serve you. God, thank you that you came down and you chose to die for us so that we can be in a perfect relationship with God, so that we can live in this forgiveness that you freely give us, God. And that brings so much joy to our souls, God, so much passion. So God, even if we're not there tonight, God, where we're, we've got the joy and the passion, God, we just want to come humbly to you and say, come and speak into our lives. Come and have your way. Come and help us through our, the daily struggles that we have with ourselves. And God, help us seek after your path. Help us seek after the ways that you have planned for us. Help us seek after the ways you want to prosper us, God. You, um, you want what's best for us, God. God, help us seek after the dreams that you have for our lives, not the small dreams that we dream up for our lives, God, but the big dreams that you have planned for us to do because you have planned good works in advance for us to do. And God, we want to walk in those paths. We want to impact our friends and our family for you so that when they look at us, we'll be totally countercultural, whether they're religious or not, God, that we will actually serve you with such love that people won't understand it. God, that's the love that we demand. That's the love that we ask you to place in our hearts. God, help us daily follow you and help us not compromise ourselves or compromise anything else so that we can follow you with more heart than we ever have. God, give us strength where we're weak. And God, in our weakness, May your strength be ever evident. In Jesus' name.